he's had, um, I would call it resistance somewhat to receiving um, a transplant. And that's cost him a year in, 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 in this journey. I am so delighted to speak with you today. My name is Maria Esther Diaz Gonzalez de Ferris. I'm a pediatric nephrologist who works at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Um, but I also um, love to collaborate with the International Society of Nephrology in their podcasts and webinars that address patient needs. Today, we are so delighted to welcome a patient advocate. Ms. Bonke, and a physician advocate, Dr. Sam. And uh, before I introduce them, or actually will ask them to get introduced, I would like to thank International Society of Nephrology, BKD Foundation, and IBNA for allowing this program to take place. Let's start with Ms. Bonke. Hello, my name is Bonke Ujiri, and I am a PKD patient um, who has received a transplant um, for to yesterday well actually was my fourth year post transplant and I am an outreach ambassador for the uh, PKD foundation and in that role I try to spread the awareness of polycystic kidney disease um, to patients of color and um, just by sharing my own journey. Thank you. Dr. Sam? Um, hello, everyone. Um, uh, my name is Dr. Sam. I'm a transplant nephrologist at uh, University of Chicago. Um, and I'm very happy to be here together with Dr. Maria and Ms. Funke um, to talk about uh, equity um, in um, polycystic kidney disease. Um, and I'm doing research on how we can um, surmount these disparities. Thank you both for being here. I would like to mention to the audience that we have done a webinar and um, wanted to continue the conversation. So hence this podcast uh, is started. And in that last webinar, we talk a bit about bias in the medical space and talking about bias can also be a sensitive topic. So I'm gonna start with Ms. Fonke. Can you provide the patient view on, on how you've seen bias appear in your own medical journey or those that you know and how you work to overcome this bias? Um, so I would, I, I would start by giving an example of how I have seen um, what could be uh, bias at play. So my brother and I, um, have PKD, which um, we received um, th through, I guess, my mother, and who received it from uh, PKD through her father. And um, so my brother and I um, have had different um, medical journeys as we um, battled with uh, polycystic kidney disease. So I um, had ha had been under the care of a nephrologist for upwards of 20 years. And um, that journey, through that journey, I had a very proactive nephrologist who cared for me and ensured that I was aware of all my alternatives ahead of uh, when I needed it. We talked about living donation early. Um, 
we talked about you know trying to find um someone you know preemptively um unfortunately I end up having to um still go on dialysis for one year just because of um the progress of my disease um we talked about and I got my um access um in place um uh, months before I actually went on dialysis and um there come examples of 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 the care that I I received, you know, um, from her, we talked about clinical trials before I needed them, um, but I wasn't able to get on, on them just because of the timing and progress, progression of my disease. Um, on the other hand, my brother has had um, to change um, nephrologists. He's had to change cardiologists um, and, um, and he's had, um, I would call it resistance somewhat to receiving um, a transplant and that's cost him a year in 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 this journey so he's had to um seek a second of opinion so to, to just kind of give you a little bit of background he does have an additional situation other than the pkd he does have um i believe it's proteins in his heart and and th that particular condition has had him under the care of uh, i guess a card an intervention cardiologist as well as a regular cardiologist and so that um he's had to deal with the fact that his the kidney transplant team considers him um a good candidate for a kidney transplant, but having to deal with a, a cardiologist that's not on board with that um, dag that um, recommendation, and so he has had to um, through um, his new cardiologist gone to a different center um, that specializes in this in the condition that he has with his heart, and they feel like he is a good candidate for a kidney transplant. And so with that information, he was able to get the cardiologist on the other side to agree to um, a transplant, but only through leaving donation. And it's just been an up, upward, uh, uphill battle for him to have to go through that process. And um, in fact, the other center where he had, he got the second opinion was um, five hours away. Um, so multiple visits, five hours away to have to come back to get, you know, this, um, I guess, to get this movement, but, you know, and and one year long, you know, like I said, changing physicians and multiple things to get that decision. So um, I would say that um, I believe that sometimes when we, um, we're dealing with a situation like a kidney transplant. These are scarce resources, and I do appreciate that. And sometimes, um, when there's a when we come from a position of scarcity, the question of who's wor who's worthy and who's not of receiving this scarce resource can, can be um, a difficult um, discussion. And 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 I I guess there are many things that way into that decision and how do we ensure that um everyone gets a fair shake at getting a chance at this resource it's easy easy sometimes maybe that if someone doesn't look like you um 
are they worthy? Um, and so I will just stop right there with that conversation. <laughs> Thank you very much for your important points and, and uh, well said. Dr. Sam, can you expand a little bit more about how physicians uh, can address their own biases on daily on a daily basis? Um, definitely, I think um, the starting point um, for addressing bias for a physician also comes apart from um, training. So even as trainees, um, understanding that implicit bias, um, institutional bias, and then what Miss um, um, Funke was describing as sort of interpersonal bias with one for a group of physicians could play a role um, in um, in making these decisions. Additionally, different transplant centers uh, in different regions may have different approaches to patients with um, what uh, we describe as comorbidity or having a heart condition in addition to a kidney condition. Uh, but that does have to be balanced with the fact that kidney transplant could actually improve their heart condition after transplantation as well. Um, so that's an important uh, paradoxical situation for transplant programs um, that we have to be better at understanding which patients um, with comorbidities would actually benefit from the transplantation um, and show an improvement in their comorbidities after they get their transplantation. Like for example, when you get a kidney transplant, um, your heart function can actually get better because a working kidney gets rid of the salt and the water uh, more efficiently and it makes your heart function better. Um, so we do have to acknowledge that um, as providers um, and um, make sure, as Ms. Funke said, uh, that everyone gets a fair shake um, to what is a scarce resource. And um, no matter who walks into that door, um, everyone should be equally worthy of um, getting a chance to be optimized to be able to get that um, organ transplant. Very well, thank you. I, I know that you are a transplant nephrologist. Can you expand a little bit about, for example, the UNOS policy and how everybody's listed um, so on um, UNOS policy, of course, like um, distance um, from where um, in the U.S. we have the disease donor waiting list where um, different regions, uh, patients who are lift, uh, listed in those regions um, get a kidney offer based on the distance from um, where the um, organ is received from whoever passed away. Um, and uh, based on that, um, and based on the blood group, whether their blood group matches matches the um, blood group of the person who passed away, that's another consideration. Um, now, when how much time you've had on the wait list is an important thing. The more time you've had, the higher up you're on the wait list. Um, but um, there, we know that um, there are a lot of disparities in getting to that wait list, right? I'm a transplant nephrologist. When I see a patient, that means they've already overcome many barriers to be able to get to me, uh, but it's the patients who haven't gotten to me yet, um, um, who do not have the, who have not had the chance to get on the wait list even before they've started dialysis. Um, so recently, for example, in 2022, um, 
we've had changes in removing race as a factor from how we calculate kidney function. Um, and UNOS has actually gone back in time and awarded more time um, to black patients uh, whose kidney function may have been overestimated and who may have not gotten listed um, early enough. Um, so there are definitely um, changes happening, um, um, especially 2021 is when the kidney community came together and removed race uh, from the equation, how we calculate kidney function. So now um, kidney function um, is um, um, equivalent whether you're black or not black. Um, and at the same time, we're using a uh, race neutral equation is what we're calling it to um, also make sure that everyone gets um, their wait list time um, equitably distributed um, um, as well. Thank you for this important information. I think it's new information that hasn't quite trickled down to the patient. So I appreciate that. Uh, let me let me summarize this part of the of the yeah, conversation. Sounds to me, Ms. Fonke and Dr. Sam that the experiences that Ms. Fonke and her brother have um, experienced, if I could use that word again, um, has been different. And Ms. Fonke's brother's uh, uh, life course has changed when he became a very a better advocate of his health, a self-advocate that was um, more focused on let's, let's be a partner with the physician or let's find another physician group that can help meet my needs. So self-advocacy, it's a behavior that in some cultures is natural. But in other cultures, self-advocacy may be seen as questioning your provider, questioning your doctor. Doctors are seen as people of respect, and you don't want to offend your doctors or providers by questioning them or uh, advocating too much about you and your health. So, Ms. Fonke, how would you advise patients who are not in in a who are in a different setting or in a different culture? How would they go about advocating for themselves? So, um, I would say that as a patient, especially of um, something like PKD, that is a lifelong battle. You need to get comfortable. <sighs> with speaking up, you need to get out of your comfort zone. And to do that, you need to think about the advantages and disadvantages of not speaking up. And maybe if you reframe that, then you will you'll you might be a little more comfortable in, in asking those questions or speaking up about your condition a little bit more. And I say that to say that you will get the best care possible because you are um explaining to your doctor what exactly is going on. And also because if you keep asking the questions, so you, you fully understand what they're trying to, you know, your doctor's trying to tell you, because sometimes you get a lot of information that you don't understand. And if you are reticent in, in, in um, admitting that you didn't fully understand or need a little more clarification, then you, you can't be the best patient for your own self because how how can you comply with what's needed if you didn't fully understand what's what the doctor told you or why 
you should do that. So it's important that you speak up because it's for your own good. And also it's for the doctor's good because then they can give you the best advice as well. So it, it works both ways. You as the patient know your body, you know the things that are going on with you. Um, and doctors are not mind readers. I mean, they do have knowledge and they do know what typically can happen, but things present differently in, in different people. And you're the only one who can speak up and say that. And I'll, I'll give you an example of why um, I think this is very important. For example, I did have, um, during my journey, due to the size of my kidneys, I did get a double nephrectomy. My, my, my kidneys were removed because of the size ahead of my transplant. Um, and that was decided to be the best course for me at the time, rather than maybe place the kidneys in there with my native kidneys um, still in place. Um, after the surgery, I did need a blood transfusion. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I got the blood transfusion, I got um, released and I was fine. Um, in pre-op, for my uh, transplant, once the transplant date was set, I found out that I had um, developed antibodies and now I was no longer compatible with my leaving donor. So that was a, a difficult situation. And so um, through the transplant center, we were able to, my, my donor and I were able to enroll in the um paired kidney exchange program and together with um, four, four groups, uh, a total of eight people, I was able to eventually get my transplant. And so the real point I'm trying to get at is just before my transplant, um, I had been in dialysis for a year and um, I had had to go through some um, antibody treatment, I guess, to, 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 to desensitize me somewhat. And that led to me being very anemic. And so um, just for my transplant, I was told that I may not be able to go through the transplant because um, I was so anemic and that I needed another blood transfusion. And so at this point, because I knew what the outcome um, from my previous um, transfusion was, even though it was life-saving at the time, but it did cause me problems with um, getting a transplant, then I, I I spoke up and I said, no, I do not want a, a transfusion. And is there any other way that we can work through this? I So through um, discussions with, I, I believe we had a discussion with the hematologist, with my transplant nephrologist, um, there were some other therapies that I end up receiving like post-transplant and I'm not a medical doctor, so I won't even try to explain what it was that they did. But what needless to say that we came up with a different um, solution that was not a blood transfusion. And I was able to go ahead and have my transplant. Thank you for that example. And I'm sorry about the difficulty and bump on the road. Dr. Sam, would you like to expand a little bit on, on how we can address cultural differences in self-advocacy? Um. I think, um, like Ms. Funke said, um, em advocating for yourself um, definitely empowers you as a patient, um, either doing it yourself or having a family member 
um, come with you to the visit, um, bringing a list of your questions prepared to the visit um, definitely helps make the uh, visit to the physician more efficient um, and uh, making sure that all of your concerns are addressed. Um, and something that Ms. Funke touched upon is a lot of times, um, even though um, we might be um, communicating instructions or ideas to you, um, it may not come across in a language that is um, easily understandable and um, making sure that you ask the why and how um, so that you understand why we are saying what we need you to do um, would go a long way in making sure that you're able to actually follow through um, on um, the instructions or recommendations that we have when you uh, come to see a doctor. Um, and at the same time, like um, uh, Ms. Funke's experience with uh, getting a blood transfusion and like the situation repeating itself, I think at least in the U.S., uh, the healthcare system being fragmented, um, many of the specialists may not be aware of what the other person's priorities are. Um, and for a kidney transplant patient, if they go into a even if you're on the wait list and you're going to a hospital for some other reason, that hospital doctor may not be aware of the nuances of everything else that's going on um, with your kidney disease at that point. So um, at that point, it's important for your nephrologist to play your advocate uh, and to become your advocate and to communicate between specialists and make sure that uh, your overall plan um, for your kidney disease and your transplant is well understood by everyone else who is involved in your care. Thank you so much. Let me go back to Ms. Fonke uh, to address the issue of um, self-advocacy or being an efficient patient, you know, being self-efficacious. So when you, for example, what does that mean? When you, for example, go get a, a cell phone, you investigate who has the best minutes, the best plans for the least amount of money you are very uh, a very effective and efficacious consumer. And I would invite the patients to become, to become uh, efficacious about their health services. But Ms. Fonke, would you give us some ideas on how you've become a, a better self-advocate? Um, so um, I think that as, as a patient uh, of, you know, who's been through a lot, um, it, it just I, I I think that it comes a little bit um, naturally after some time, um, so you know just getting out of my own comfort um, zone I guess uh, has has helped. Um, um, just learning from others and listening to others and find, hearing other people's journey ha um, has helped me also, um, and then just learn about the statistics on on care for um, people of color has made me also, uh, I guess, more wanting to get that message out to people. So I have, um, that that has kind of led me to being here on this uh, podcast because I um, want to, you know, speak out uh, on behalf of PKD patients and uh, the PKD Foundation and just getting that information out there. Um, as far as being a, a better self-advocate for myself is just that I've um, 
just learned that by speaking up that I have been able to, you know, just get get better care for myself or, or those around me. Um, and so I would just encourage everyone to, you know, to, to consider um, that. So my as my journey uh, with PKD, um, like I mentioned, I I I um, as I started going to kidney failure, I did need a double nephrectomy. I did get my uh, native kidneys removed. I was on dialysis for um, a year, uh, as well as um, you know the the joy of finally getting my transplant. So through that journey, I would say there were so many ups and downs, you know, just the feelings um, of dealing with just having a disease that, you know, has no cure. So those emotions, um, you know, how do you stay positive through all that? And I, I, one of my things that I said was that this to myself, and I would remind myself that you won, you have to find happiness along the way, no matter what. You um you cannot let um polycystic kidney disease define you because you're because I've you are more than that, and so um the I would say the few things that kind of kept me through that journey was you know having faith that you know God will pull me through and that you know things will happen in the right time. And that just helped keep me positive because I believe that life is about seasons. Sometimes you're in a low season and sometimes you're in a high season. And when you're in the low season, just remember that the high season will come again. You know, so it, it just, you know, um, keeping that in mind helped me get through the periods where, you know, I was in a, I would say a valley because I was just wait for the peak. So um, the other thing that helped me was health, healthy, living a healthy lifestyle. Uh, Prior to kidney failure, I got an exercise program. Um, I actually completed five marathons just trying to get healthy. I was spinning, I was walking, just doing all the things that I could because I felt like this was a disease that I had no control over, but the only thing I could control was how well, how healthy I could be. And I, I believe that really helped me because um, essentially I was as healthy as I could be, except for PKD, which I couldn't control. So um, just getting on a healthy lifestyle just helped me um, when, you know, my body started to, I guess, go through the effects of, of kidney failure. So I would recommend that. And I, I would say the last thing is, um, always going to your doctor's appointments. I I was lucky to be under the care of the same nephrologist for over 20 years. And she actually retired uh, a year before I, I got uh, my transplant, but I was, she, you know, I was consistently um, always seeking, uh, you know, going to my doctor's appointments, um, whether, you know, all throughout the journey. So, um, I would say that, you know, you got to find something to help you with your emotional or spiritual well-being, whether it's, you know, faith or uh, whatever works for you to get you through that, as well as, like I said, a healthy lifestyle and um, constant medical care. Thank you so much. Dr. Sam, from the physician standpoint, what can patients do or, or your experience? What have you learned from patients 
um, that gets your attention to um, advocate to have good self advocacy. Um, yeah, definitely. I think the biggest learning comes from our patients because I don't have the lived experience um, of a kidney disease patient. I don't know how it feels to be on dialysis um, day after day, week after week, and um, the sort of ups and downs um, that go through a kid getting a kidney transplant process. Um, so um, patients have, I think, taught me to be a better listener. Um, I think every time I walk into a patient's room, I definitely have a list of things in my mind uh, that I have to go through with them. Uh, but I need to accept that that may not completely coincide with what they want to talk about that day. Um, so I think making sure that the visit is not a one-way communication um, and that I'm also actively listening to the um, uh, conditions that um, they they are being affected by. Like, for example, PKD may, is not just about looking at their creatinine and their blood pressure. There's also pain from having the kidneys and um, planning for dialysis, the emotional impact of um, looking for a donor or talking about transplant and um, some of these other um, psychological and emotional factors that we um, don't really learn about, um, but we do see them every day. And, and I think that's important to learn from our patients um, to understand um, the issues that affect them that are just beyond um, beyond the disease itself. Um, so that's definitely something I've learned from our patients. Thank you so much. If I may summarize some of the important things we talked about today, um, and before I get to the summary, I would like to comment that I have been uh, a member of the faculty in, in a teaching institution for over three decades now, and I have given been the I have been given the opportunity to give lectures across many countries, and um, I usually ask in the audience, could you raise your hand if you have had a family member with chronic kidney disease or end-stage kidney disease, and very few hands generally go up, which means providers of patients with chronic kidney disease have little experience or no experience with this condition. So I would like to uh, encourage patients to help your providers learn about what it is to have CKD. Um, so help us help you. Also give us feedback. It's okay to give us feedback. Okay, doc, you did good this time, but okay, doc, I have a question for you. In terms of self-advocacy, we learned that um, it's important to seek and accept help of all kinds, spiritual, help with managing your care, help with going to the appointments, having a family member going with you to the medical appointments that can feel comfortable asking questions if you're shy. Staying positive, we heard. We also heard following a healthy regimen as much as you can and to attend your medical appointments and take your medications. So be compliant or adherent to your, to your medications and treatment. In terms of preparing for your visits, it's okay to come with a list of questions. It doesn't have to be a long list, but prepare for your visit. Come bring a little card or use your telephone or whatever and write the most important important questions you want to address. Write these questions and ask them. And then um, make a plan with your doctor 
pick one of the important questions. Doctor, today I want to talk about my blood pressure medicines. The next visit, I want to make sure my diet is addressed. Can I eat this? On the next visit, what is my limit for fluid this time? So there are so many tricks. Just remember, your health is as important as buying a cell phone. Doing the most important homework is getting ready for your visits, getting ready for your health. I don't have any other uh, conclusions. I might have missed some points. Ms. Funke, do you have things to add and say goodbye? I would say thank you, uh, Dr. Maria and Dr. Sam, for this opportunity to share uh, my experience um, with the patients. I would say uh, with the audience, um, I would say to all the PKD warriors out there, you know, be strong, um, get comfortable with this and just speak up as you need to. Um, it's for your own good. Um, don't let PKD define you. You are strong and you are, um, and and you're, you're strong and um, just keep on doing what you're doing. And to all the physicians out there who care for us, thank you. We appreciate you. We appreciate your knowledge. And um, thank you to the um, ISN and PKD Foundation um, for this opportunity to share. Thank you, Ms. Funke. Dr. Sam. Um, thank you, Dr. Maria and Ms. Funke for having me be a part of this conversation. I've learned a lot from both of you in this process. Um, and I hope that this conversation continues to happen um, in ADPKD um, and otherwise in our patients with kidney disease so we can um, continue to narrow uh, the gaps um, in care that we offer to our patients. Well, this concludes our session. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear audience, for staying with us. We hope to hear from you. And on behalf of uh, Ms. Funke and Dr. Sam and myself, we would like to thank the International Society of Nephrology, the PKD Foundation, and the International Pediatric Nephrology Association for having us this time. So, so the next time, thank you so much.